I bought myself a Mac and a Final Cut Pro system and just started playing around. And that's when I really started to feel like this is what I'm good at. This is what I enjoy. This is, this is really where I can be creative. And even though I also had this dream of becoming a director, I really, really love editing. And I love what's happening creatively in, in the editing room. I feel like that's where the movie happens. Welcome back to the Famous Editors Podcast. If you've watched two editing tutorials on YouTube, chances are at least one of them was from This Guy Edits, aka Sven Pape. Almost 50 million views on his channel, almost 500,000 subscribers. Sven creates incredible videos breaking down not only editing technique and process, but film theory goes into great detail on how films are made, how edits are put together, uh, and the production value is exceedingly high on each of these videos, which helps explain why they are so popular. So today I'm talking with Sven about his experience working with James Cameron, director of Avatar uh, and other famous directors, talking about his experience working with Walt Disney Pictures, Fremantle Media, and other production giants, and we'll also learn how Sven built one of the biggest and most respected online editing schools. Really fascinating guy, tons of insight and wisdom in this conversation. I think you will enjoy it as much as I did. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really always excited to talk about my me, so always open to uh, the invitation. I, When I started to become interested in film, I was pretty young. I was probably 15 when I actually had to move to South Africa because my dad took a job there. And I, it was a complete culture shock for me because in Germany, the school system is way different than in South Africa. South Africa has school uniforms, military haircuts. It's all about the, the, um, the whole, the community, being part of it. In Germany, it's very much about individual free-thinking spirits. And so I couldn't quite uh, connect for quite a while. So I went to the movies to find an escape and I really connected emotionally with what's going on on the screen and that's sort of where my dream started to to be part of that process of connecting with an audience creating these kinds of emotions and and shaping those and so I basically told my dad when he asked me what do you want to become do you want to get a job in the car factory I'm like nope um, I want to become a filmmaker and he said, all right, um, I'll help you out. I'll set up a, a couple of internships. And he did an internship at the car company in the design uh, department, at the ad agency, and at a newspaper. And so I spent a couple of weeks in each department. And I loved working in the ad agency, in the film department. I was just glued to the producer and I was on set and I just loved the entire process of them casting, shooting and cutting commercials. And I pretty much knew after that internship, this is what I want to do. I was still pretty young. I went back to Germany when I was about 18. Couldn't go to film school in Berlin because you had to be 21. So I took an advertising uh, course, um, did my master's in that, and then I applied to film schools in Los Angeles and got rejected, tried again, and got into AFI um, as a producer. And just um, really loved the experience, but also realized that producing is not for me. It's too much logistics and money and, and managing people. I was more interested in the creative process. And... After I graduated, I bought myself a Mac and a Final Cut Pro system and just started playing around. And that's when I really started to feel like this is what I'm good at. This is what I enjoy. This is this is really where I can be creative. And even though I also had this dream of becoming a director, I really, really love editing. And I love what's happening creatively in, in the editing room. I feel like that's where the movie happens. That's great. What were those uh, early films you were watching in South Africa that had such an impact on you? One in particular was Dead Poets Society. I don't know if you remember that film. And it's like really the, the ultimate call for artists to find their voice 
and stand up for what they believe in. And I heard the call and I was all in. That's that's a big movie. I saw, I remember seeing the big blue Luc Besson movie in Cape Town on the big screen, like 10 o'clock at night show. I was the only person in the audience and I was just, it's cinema, like from the cinematography, an amazing epic film. And just rewatched it as I, I was, I was living in Cape Town for the internship, but uh, home was Port Elizabeth. So I had, again, no friends and I was seeing that movie several times there. And um, yeah, that, that definitely shaped me. Oh, that's great. I, I met Lupe once at, at a screening of Sunshine, uh, actually here in, here in LA, which is really cool. Really nice guy, really modest, just uh, for such a, an amazing director. When you uh, applied to AFI, why did you do that? And looking back on that experience, what do you think is the, the value of film school? And, and do you think it's necessary to have uh, the type of success that you've had in your career? Um, it definitely helped me to be at AFI because it allowed me as a foreigner to come to LA on a student visa and be able to play around for several years. And so it gave me that two, three years where I could just experience filmmaking in obviously the capital of entertainment and seeing how infrastructure really works like i was in berlin and i was quite active there in the film industry but i the difference is night and day in terms of infrastructure it's it's very political in germany it's very um, set prices everywhere and it's very hard to to get a movie made in la it's the opposite it's very easy to get a movie made at whatever budget you have like at the time equipment companies would give you a camera for if you have a relationship and say hey i'm a student i only have 500 bucks can i have this um this film camera for the weekend even though it would be a ten thousand dollar package if they have it they would give it to you um, because they were banking on the fact that down the road you were gonna remember them when it's time to shoot your first big feature film or studio film and that attitude didn't exist um, in there. So going to film school allowed me to experience that and gave me, gave me the opportunity to figure out a way how to stay here. But I do think if somebody asked me, do you think film school is worth it? I would say no, because film school has the problem that it's too expensive. Um, it sets you back by a couple hundred grand in a worst case scenario. And it takes time, like you're two, three years off the market when you should already be building your career. You're learning your craft and that's all great. And you're meeting interesting friends and your peer peers in the school. But most of the time, whether you have a degree or not, you're going to start as a post runner, as a production assistant on set. And your career starts there. And you have to build your way up. And nobody's hiring you over anyone else because you have a, a fancy degree from AFI or USC. Um, they take whoever they feel like has the hunger, the commitment, the discipline, the foresight, all these qualities that you need for people to notice you. And if you have those qualities, you'll move up pretty fast and get from PA to post-production coordinator to whatever, maybe assistant editor, and once you're in the mix, it's very easy to get your next job that's a little bit higher on the tier of that ladder you want to climb. I went to film school also, both uh, undergrad at UCLA and as a grad student at Columbia. And uh, especially uh, as a grad student, it was very expensive. I went deep into student debt very quickly. Uh, and I dropped out after one semester because I was so scared of what was going to happen after school. Uh, and it was hard enough working out from under that uh, student debt. Uh, I, you know, I have friends from that program who came out with uh, around 300,000 of student debt and had real, you know, challenges getting their career started after that because of, you know, the fact that, like you said, no one's waiting to hire you after film school. It's not like uh, a law degree or a, a medical degree where you can start work, working at a firm or a hospital right away. You still have to work your way up, like you just said, and, and build that network of people who will give you your chance. Since you said you went to Columbia, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal about Columbia and how the students in the film program paid like $250,000. And yeah. 
then they are, they looked at them and see, okay, what jobs did they get and where are they now a couple of years later? And they all had like 30,000 or less uh, per year jobs. And it didn't benefit them at all that they went to Columbia. That's exactly right. Uh, reading that article was uh, just an, I mean, it brought me right back to that day that I dropped out, which was a really hard decision. I felt like I was letting all my friends down, all my classmates down. Uh, I felt like a loser, you know, and my dad was, was not supportive of that decision. Yeah. But uh, now, years later, seeing that article and, and seeing, you know, all these sort of worst case scenarios that I had, I had nightmares about coming true. Uh, I'm happy that came out. I wish it came out 10 years ago. <laughs> Tell me about how you brought LA Twisters to life. How did you get this amazing uh, film, amazing directing opportunity? I was, so I graduated and I worked for James Cameron on Ghost of the Abyss and was, was cutting the 3D IMAX movie. And I already, already could see the path because there was a follow-up project that uh, I was asked back to cut. And I was, after working for Jim for three years, which was an amazing experience. Like I've learned so much and I loved it. I worked fairly close with him. Like we had offices next to each other uh, and cutting stuff. That's amazing. But I was completely burned out on just cutting underwater footage for three years. And I could see that if I would take that next opportunity, it would not be good for me, even though it might be really good for me because ultimately ended up doing Avatar. And like my, my co-editor on Ghost of the Abyss, John Wolfrois, became the editor on Avatar. Oh, wow. I still... Looking back at it, I feel like it was the right decision to say, no, I have an opportunity to, I made a little money. I have, I found an, an, a partner, a producing partner, and he brought me this script and we could take a chance on this right now. And this might be the only time that I ever get to direct a movie. And I will regret if I don't take this on. So I just went for it. And to be honest, I wasn't ready. Like the film is okay. It's, it's okay. It's like on IMDb, it has like a 6.0 or something, but have making a movie that's okay. is not good enough when you need to break into the industry. It needs to be a showstopper. It needs to be at Sundance. It needs to win Sundance. Really. It can't just be in Sundance. It needs to win Sundance to really uh, make a difference for your career. And I wasn't in terms of my craft, I was nowhere at that level where I could pull this off. And the script wasn't really ready too. But I wasn't aware of this being young and naive. My whole attitude is always take action, take action, just do it. And you'll never regret having done something as opposed to saying no, and then you look back at it. So it in in that way, I think it really worked out for me. But it also um, didn't fully serve what I came to do as a filmmaker. Like I still have that fire to tell a story that comes from my heart and that I executed on the level where I know it's great. Um, so that fire is still there and that's still going to happen. But, um, but that's how my first feature film happened. I did another one there, which was also for hire. And then I went back to editing after that. That was Hollywood kills after that. And how did that one come to be? People that were not in the industry were interested in making a movie and they had a script and they were shopping it around. And because I just had finished LA Twister, somehow they paid attention to me in the sense that I was able to approach them and show them the film. And then they got back to me and, and interviewed and it worked out. So they hired me to direct the film. And what were the biggest challenges of, of both? They're on, on set as a, as a pretty new director. Being a director that people respect and understanding that as a director, you have to really portray confidence all the way. So as soon as you're a little bit unsure or you're like, you're not committing to an idea right away. Like I love to explore options. I'd love to discuss different scenarios. Um, but sometimes that can come across as, not being sure what to do. So I had to very quickly learn. And thank God I had a really good partner, uh, Patrice Cochet, who we went to film school together. He's a cinematographer. 
And he sort of helped me and told me, look, when, you, when you're on set, it doesn't even matter whether you know what you're doing. You just need to portray it. You just need to be in charge. And so once I learned that, it really helped me um, be, have a much better grip on just the entire production, the crew and everything. Doesn't mean that I have to yell or, or whatever, but just to be confident in whatever I decide was really important. Do you find that's the case uh, as a professional editor, or is it different? It's a little less different. Like you, it's it's okay to be a little softer as an editor because you're kind of a listener anyway, and you're supportive. So you need to be a little bit more nurturing and allowing the other person to to take charge. But on the other hand, as an editor, now I'm very confident. I have very strong opinions about how a scene should be cut. And it's just a matter for me to figure out how can I bring it across in a way that I'm not a threat to, to the director, where they feel like I got, I, I got a handle on this and I'm not afraid to speak up, but I'm also fully respectful of their vision and allowing them to take time to formulate that vision or find it. How did those feature directing experiences influence you as an editor? I mean, it goes both ways. Uh, on set, I was already an editor when I was directing my first feature, so I knew a lot. I had a really good handle on coverage and knowing which camera angles are going to cut together, work together. What is it that we're missing? It also helps to understand that performances don't have to be perfect on set. Like they're all just little building blocks. So you just need a little look here. You need a little emotional reaction there and all the other stuff. Like I don't have to redo a take with an actor if for some reason they break character in between because I don't know how it's going to cut together. If I know I got the moments in the right angles, I can move on and I can I can portray that to the actors as well. It's like it's okay to take chances and try something and then maybe you suddenly fall out of character and you need to catch yourself. Uh, so I can be more supportive to the to the actor that way. And what did you learn about editing working with James Cameron? What was that like? I mean, it was amazing. He was a mentor without really recognizing that he was. Uh, and it's because wow. it's not because I asked a lot of questions and he would be like so happy to answer. It was more because we were doing the work and I was doing the work for him. For example, as soon as I was cutting stuff, he would really focus on audio and he would just give me this hard drive with all the sound effects he had from uh, previous movie Titanic and said, go through all that stuff and fill that scene with just like, I want to hear the water. I want to hear the submarine. Uh, when, when he's hitting the sting, we need some metal sound there. And he's like, and so he was very, very much focused on audio first. And most of the direction he, he gave me ever was all on sound. And it wow. really, um, helped me understand how important working with audio is when you're, when you're cutting picture. So on that film, was there a separate sound editor yes, or sound yes. designer or, or were you in that so role? So okay. once the film was done or even as we were cutting, they already had a guy from uh, Industrial Light and Magic who set up shop in the office and we would be tossing cuts back and forth and he would start doing sound design. But regardless, we would always do our version first of how it should sound so that when when it gets screened, there's no questions about it has to feel like the real thing. That makes sense. Did he use a lot? Did he keep a lot of what you did? Or did you set the tone for his work throughout? <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, he cut on the film as well. He didn't take credit for Ghost of the Abyss. But he looked at every scene, basically at every frame, and made sure that he's good with it. But there's a lot of it in there where I feel like the whole opening actually was something that I cut as an assistant editor that I showed to him. And that gave me the job. And that scene, even though it's a little tighter, oh. it's basically that very first cut that I, that I did at night uh, without anyone knowing. But, That's but awesome. yeah, no, I mean, he definitely is very hands-on on everything. And there's no, there's no question that um, ultimately it's whatever he sees, um, 
he signs off on it and um it's it's his voice but he he takes every person's work and um incorporates it so it doesn't feel like he's changing everything it always feels like he makes it better so after uh directing these two films what brought you to that day in 2016 when i believe you were editing a film <laughs> that uh a director mark weber was shooting in pennsylvania while you were cutting yes yeah that is that is correct so mark and i already had cut one or two features uh, worked on one or two features together i'd cut his first film that went to sundance so he he already had he did a movie before that that went to south by southwest and was starring rosario dawson i believe and then he did this second movie and i was really really lucky that he gave me a shot at this film it was an, it's one of my favorite films that i've ever cut uh, it's called the end of love and it's kind of a cinema reality is what he calls it so there's a lot of documentary elements that he utilizes but it's a complete fictional story so we had a really strong bond as just collaborators and i already knew from actually my daughter that youtube is a thing she when she started going to um school so even before middle school, she already had a YouTube channel and she was telling little stories with toys, My Little Pony. And she, I gave her a final cut and I said, you should learn that as opposed to iMovie because the things that you're doing, it'll pay off. And she was one of the top MLP creators during that phase and was already making money, enough money to buy her own camera, lights, all that stuff. So I knew that YouTube is a thing and it has to be taken seriously. So I started experimenting with that on another channel that was about chickens and, and homesteading. And the very first video that I posted, it took me 10 minutes to, to film with my, with my phone. And then I posted that video and it got like 100,000 views. Um, and it made 200 bucks wow. in, in AdSense money. And at that moment I realized, okay, I, I, I can see this. So then I pitched this to Mark and say, look, the next movie that we're doing, because as independent filmmakers, we're always struggling to find our audience. Even when we get to Sundance, doesn't mean that anybody's going to watch this film in the theaters. We have to make a connection. We have to find that audience. Why don't we do that while we're already cutting the film and we're letting people be part of that process so that by the time that we're done, they just going to want to watch the movie because they've been part of the process. And he's like, that sounds great to me. Why don't you cut a couple of episodes, uh, show it to me, and then we'll go from there. So I, I recorded three episodes back to back, which are the, they are on the channel, the, the first three videos. And he watched them, said, this is awesome. I'm actually learning something about editing myself. Keep going. We decided on a couple of scenes that we're not going to include in this, but otherwise he gave me carte blanche. He didn't even watch any of the other episodes, I believe. And so then I posted a video. First, it was like three times a week whenever I was cutting a new scene. And, and as I was doing that, I started to realize it has to be more than just showing the process of editing. There has to be some form of educational value or entertainment value to just expand and find that audience. And so every episode, you can tell there's an evolution, like each episode gets a little bit better in terms of production value and what the takeaway is. And then by the time we were done with the movie, we had maybe 20, 30,000 subscribers. Wow, already. I was thinking, okay, so what am I going to do with this channel now? This is like, I was getting so much out of it in terms of just working really fast and getting instant feedback from the audience. I was growing during that whole process creatively. And I realized that it has to, we can go bigger with it. So that's when I started doing video essays on other films, bigger films, more tips in general. And so by the time I did something like a Christopher Nolan video on Dunkirk or so, suddenly uh, these videos would get several hundred thousand, if not a million views. I really realized for myself, wow, editing can be for a bigger audience and we can actually really celebrate editing because 
as you might know, editing is kind of really under under the radar. It's invisible. It's really easy for an audience to see and hear um, great sound, great camera work, and make like appreciating it. Hans Zimmer. Everybody loves Hans Zimmer because it's so. You can take the soundtrack and you can listen to it in your car, and it makes you feel something. With editing, you can't do that. Um, so having a channel that really shows how powerful editing is, and that it's really showing like we control performances people don't think that's the case other than the director or the actors nobody knows that we decide when to show somebody how long they're gonna say something and in what order um, so we can completely manipulate a performance and make actors feel certain things that they didn't feel in the moment and that's so powerful that I think it's interesting to discover when you are, um, when we look at it on the channel. Tell me about your lifestyle. So, so in, you know, along this theme of, of helping the unseen uh, be seen, I'm interested in looking at how great life as an editor can be. How do you balance your professional work with this channel? What do you like? What kind of freedom has, does editing afford you? And, and what do you love about this career well as an editor you can be it can be really hard or it can be amazing in terms of your creative freedom your work-life balance it kind of depends on how good you are um, i call it the go-to editor so the the kind of editor that producers want to work with and that they're going to call first if you're in that position you can make more requests for example, I used to work for Fremantle Media, which is the company that did American Idol, America's Got Talent, um, Deadly Sketch, and so on and so forth. And I I was becoming their go-to editor in the development department. Mm. So I was cutting new pilots, new sizzles to sell shows. And if, I, if that show gets sold, they could make potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. Like I, there was one show wow. where they bought... I think a hundred plus episodes based off the pilot that I cut. So they're hiring the best editor that they can. And money is not really an object. What matters is, are they available? Are they willing to go through this process? Because it's, it goes to network. So you have a lot of different people looking at this, giving you notes and it's going back and forth, back and forth. Everybody has a different opinion and you need to be that person. That's, that is like, willing to work with them to find the best product possible. And once you're in that position, you can say, A, pay me more. B, I want to come in at 11 in the office and I, I'm going to leave whenever I feel like I want to leave as long as I get the job done. Uh, you can make all kinds of yeah. demands and then you can balance it with your, with your family life as well. So, for example, for me, it was really important that I work from my office as opposed to their office. So if they hire me, they would have to come to me as opposed to I have to come to them. And that really helped me be happier with the job and also be able to make sure that when the family needs me, I can, I can make that happen. What advice do you have for people who want a career like yours? How can aspiring editors or, or you know, talented amateur editors or professional editors who aren't yet working in the types of projects that they want to, what can they do to accelerate their careers? Well, the first thing they have to do is they have to edit. They have to edit as much as possible. The slogan on the channel is just edit. If you edit every day and you love it, you enjoy the process, then there's really nothing stopping you. For most people, the process of editing is actually very tedious and frustrating and it, it, it can become very hard for them to get to a final cut that is good when you're not really enthusiastic about the grind um, because ultimately it's you in a room with a computer all day long and for for some people that means they're like diving into a world and they're just lost in this they're just exploring things it's like they're out there on whatever out there in in the universe and for other people it's just sitting at a computer and looking at the clock and when can i get out of here 
And so you have to go through that process and understand whether you are either that one person or the other person. If you feel like you really enjoy the process and you could see yourself grinding away for years to come and being enthusiastic about that, I think you should really seriously pursue it. And you will burn, every editor will get burned out eventually. Like at some point, even Eddie Hamilton, when he cuts Top Gun Maverick, if he has to show up every day for six days a week and cut this movie for 10, 12 hours a day and nothing else matters, um, after a while, he's going to be a little burned out and he's going to say, maybe I want to do something else. Um, but he wants it bad enough and he enjoys this so much that he can play at that level. And if you want to want to become one of the top editors, then uh, it's it's there. It's so easy for you to get there because at some point everybody else will get up, get burned out. It's just a sort of how how bad do you want it? So for uh, everyone out there who wants it so badly, what what steps can they take to to get that first in to get their foot in their door somewhere or get their work in front of the right person well work attracts work so you need to find a way how to get working and for me even though i had uh, let's say I, I did ghost of the abyss after i was done directing i started at the bottom again like i had nothing i had no one calling me i have no i still don't have an agent um and no opportunities so you have to create opportunities for yourself and that starts somewhere on the internet on craigslist or on mandy.com or the person that you know who knows somebody um, and you need to find a back door to convince somebody that you will cut something for them that is of value to them you make like a win-win proposition they get something where they have nothing to lose and you get some body of work. The moment that you start working, you're in a much better position because work always attracts work. That person is gonna refer you to their buddy. They're gonna have another project that they've always been thinking about. Now they actually have somebody they can trust and you start to leverage up. So nobody will get a job to cut a scripted TV show based off you going to film school, or you having the dream to become an editor and you did a course about Adobe Premiere. The only way you're gonna get that job is if you cut this, your neighbor's wedding video, who happens to be a producer on that show, who then says, wow, you did a really amazing job on my wedding video. Do you wanna become an intern at our show? Or do you wanna assist? And then he'll, help you get in there and then it's up to you to to make yourself indispensable people start to trust you to offer up to cut things on the side finding that editor that is supportive of you being also creative who's maybe willing to mentor you who then says hey we just fired this one editor here in the other office we need to find a new editor who do you know then that editor says, you know what, in, as opposed to interviewing another editor who we don't know, why don't we give this guy a try? Uh, he's cut some stuff for me as an assistant. I trust him. I think he could pull this off. And that's for how you get your opportunity. What are your goals for this guy edits? And what is it that you love about uh, running this channel? Two great questions. So my... The life of a creator is about five years, they say. Like after five years, it's it's hard to do the same thing. You need to expand. So for me, that, that worked out in, in various ways. Like we have the go-to editor course. I built that in the last two years. And we're now also just finished the first cycle of a mentorship program where we have editors like Kelly Dixon, uh, who cut um, Breaking Bad or the new Star Wars on, on Disney Plus um, is a mentor to one of our uh, students who is like at, at that level where it really makes sense that they get a mentor. You have Jason Valentine who's cutting um, The Flash right now, uh, the Warner movie. All kinds of top-level editors that are mentoring. That's a program that we're building. And that's kind of what gets me excited again about, uh, about this guy edits. Um, so it's really expanding the universe of this guy edits, but it's also telling these stories 
about different things. Like I started a new channel that's all about solar. I'm really excited about solar right now because we're doing a remodel. So I'm applying all the things that I've learned about storytelling and I use them in this channel. And even though it has only maybe 25,000 subscribers right now, with the videos, are 100,000 plus, even a million on there. So that's very exciting to me to like just find new new topics where I can still have that connection with the audience. Tell me about this mentor program. How did you get that idea and how does it work? Um, actually, one of the students in the GoToEditor course, who's now my business partner, pitched me the idea and said, why don't we, uh, why don't we think even beyond the course? The course is great because it allows you to do hands-on cutting on actual feature films that I worked on. So you get scenes and you get to cut them and you get feedback from us. But it's still kind of you just doing the work. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of need for feedback and coaching. So the next step he suggested would be to, to build some form of coaching mentorship program. And then I started to just reach out to some of these editors that I already worked with on the channel, maybe like Josh Beal, for example, we did a video, he cut House of Cards and we became friends because of this YouTube channel and me doing a video on how he cut the counterpart. I asked him, would you be willing to be a mentor? Like, I will pay you, we'll pay you whatever your hourly rate is. Um, but you have to commit to doing a one hour phone call every week to one student for six months. He's like, great. I've always been looking for ways how I can like take what I know and give it back to people. Kelly Dixon said, I wish I would have had a mentor when I started. It would have probably accelerated my career by three years or more. Generally, f film editors of that level, they're willing, they're really, they're helpful people anyway, because there are as editors helping directors and they're all trying to find ways how they can give back or how they can do more than just show up at a panel and talk about their job. Um, so we built this program around that concept of a one-hour call every week. And then we filled it up with group seminars where we invited group experts and we did a big symposium where all the mentees uh, meet each other and meet all the different mentors. And, and they're all sharing like the three things that they wish they knew when they got started 20 years ago. Uh, we had every mentor talk about that and share those things to the mentees. How do editors apply for this program? How do they get involved? Well, right now you have to be a student in the GoToEditor course. So we really just pick who we feel within the course is ready. So you have to apply, you have to enroll in the course. And then when you actually do the course and you do the exercise, we see t promise. There's many opportunities. We really want to bridge the gap between just teaching and actually getting a job. We're not afraid to say, yes, let's reach out to the industry. Let's make that happen. And so we kind of handpicked, uh, I think it was seven or eight mentees, and then we found the mentors for them. But now that we're going outside, um, we will, on the YouTube channel, we will announce it and then show what that process is to, to apply. Who's right for the go-to editor course? Who's the, the ideal learner? If you're curious about editing, if you just want to find out if this is for you, the course is right for you. So it's for beginners and intermediates, for sure. If you feel stuck, let's say you're a corporate editor and you really want to become narrative because we, 80% of what we focus on is narrative, um, creative editing. We don't teach software. We don't teach workflow all we do is creative editing and career development so we have two modules that's all about creative and one module that's about personal branding how to find jobs how to get the meeting getting the meeting is 90 percent of getting the job so once you realize that the way that you approach getting the meeting changes completely a lot of people like on the phone they're already trying to negotiate their rate uh when all they need to accomplish is to get that meeting with that producer. Just make them interested in meeting you in person. And, and once you accomplish that, you have a much better shot at getting the job. So we teach all kinds of techniques that will get you there. And so if you're curious or you're stuck, I think this is really, really good for you. Other thing that I'd like to point out is we also regularly do an editing bootcamp 
because it's it's taking the course, enrolling in the course is not enough. You actually need to cut those scenes, do the exercises. So I actually have directors that wanted to hire me and I say, no, I can't do it um, for whatever reason, budget or time. And I always pitch him the idea, why don't you hire one of our students? And we have a process for that, which is we announce the project, the students apply, and they need to submit the scenes in the course to be eligible. And they need to submit at least two scenes that they've cut. We go through their application resume. There's a certain questions we ask, outside work, and those scenes. And then we pick the top eight. These top eight, you will give them dailies for one scene of your film, and you have them cut it. So these eight go away for three weeks. They cut the scene, submit it to the director. The director picks however many they want, three, four people, and sets up an interview. And then they have the option to make an offer. They have to pay, uh, and they have to offer a credit. Um, so this is not a freebie. And they then, so far, every director that participated in editing bootcamp has hired an editor out of the course. And so far, it's always been, it worked out great. Awesome. So, and that's their first opportunity to cut a feature film. How do you think that editing is going to change in the coming years? So working with all these different students, what are the skill sets that you're seeing that you think are going to be most important in the coming years? And what, what software will be most relevant? Software will always change. Avid is still number one when it comes to top tier. So if that's what you want to do, if you're also thinking about becoming an assistant editor to become an editor, you should definitely learn Avid. I actually, I'm not a big fan of Avid, to be honest. I try to cut all my features in Final Cut 10, but I think uh, the most important software to really sort of make a good living and play the field is Premiere. Premiere is where it's at. If you're anywhere in the like a YouTube world or corporate world, anything but top tier editing, you probably want to know Premiere. Um, now to answer your question about how, how do I see editing changing? I think it's going to become more remote. It already is. And I think there are many ways how that could actually be beneficial. I enjoy cutting from home. I have a an office where I can actually invite the director to sit in. Um, they have their own suite too, where they can stay the night if they need to. So, but the, the director doesn't have to be there every day. And it's actually, I'm more productive if I can decide when I cut and if I cut remotely. So 80% of it, great editing can happen remotely with no problem with actually benefits. And I think that's the technology is catching up and the, the, the mindset that that's actually an option is also also there. The other thing I see is editing is becoming more playful. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening on YouTube where I feel like, wow, this is amazing editing. This is incredible. Why why haven't we done this in movies? And then it it sort of comes over. If you look like at a movie like Uncut Gems, you can tell that that's cut differently than your your average uh, movie. So I think it'll be a little bit more stylistic and quicker and snappier and, and fresher. And uh, I'll, definitely, I'll definitely sense that, oh, I need, to, I need to watch out. I'm becoming a little slow. Wow, um, yeah. I love that uh, video where you break down the scene when uh, Adam Sandler walks in with the envelope of cash. And you talk about how the script has lines in there where the bookie wants, you know, he says he has 5,000 for the bookie, but the bookie, they just cut that out to give, to let you feel like uh, Adam Sandler, see how rushed his, his experience as a human being is. We're yeah, just losing scenes. I mean, I love what that film accomplishes in terms of us feeling like the character. It's not just, yeah. it's not just show, don't tell. It's like feel, don't show. Yeah. I think this is a great film to study editing. You evolve a lot as an editor as you do these analyses and really study what it is that, that's working so well in these films. I never really reflected on editing before the channel. So the channel gave me the opportunity to actually verbalize why I'm making decisions or what I'm seeing and how it makes me feel. So then I'm starting to realize, oh, there are certain patterns, there are certain concepts. 
and working with other, like collaborating with other editors on the channel or even experts like Dr. Karen Perlman, who's like studies editing. Um, we start, we start to realize, oh, there's more going on. This, it has to do with mirror neurons. It has to do with, with all kinds of, um, eye tracking concepts and so on and so forth. And then to be able to be aware and implement it is, is great. Uh, in one of your videos with Roger Nygaard looking at comedy editing, you have a, a quote from him, become a filmmaker who edits, not just an editor who cuts films. What, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I feel like it applies to me. And what it means is that all the great editors are filmmakers first, is what Roger Nygaard says. And we talked about my experience directing and producing, and I also did some writing. It actually does help me to be a better editor to uh, to understand all these crafts a little bit at least. Like I don't feel like I've mastered any of them, including editing, but it helps to really understand why a cinematographer thinks differently about a scene than an editor. I can tell when a director doesn't edit. Like I can tell the way that they're seeing a scene is different and it's not necessarily bad. But you can tell that they are not seeing the big picture of how it's going to come together the same way than somebody who has to put it together. Will you cite any directors that where you've noticed this with? Well, so some directors that I worked with, certainly. I, I mean, I wouldn't dare to, to cite a name. Like, I wouldn't say Steven Soderbergh doesn't know what he's doing or uh, he's, he's not cutting. I'm, I'm pretty sure he is, actually. Yeah, I think so. Certainly when I'm in the editing room and I'm sitting with a producer or director, I know pretty fast whether they, they've had their hands on the keyboard or not. You seem to have built an amazing team who help you with your channel. Uh, writers, editors, how, how, how did you build this team? How did you find these people and how do you work with them? The first thing is it's really hard to find good editors. And that's why they go to editors. And I usually only hire from within. So most of the editors that I hired are either people that are in the course and I, I recognize potential or they approached me and they made me what I call a backdoor offer where they said, hey, I'm really strong with Adobe After Effects. I noticed your videos are lacking some, like the, the level of your motion graphics could be much higher. Here's an example of what I can do. Next video. Um, would, would you be interested if I just do a couple of your graphics? And if you'd like at that time, consider hiring me on the next project. I love that, that type of approach. And I love hiring people like this because I get to, they are proactive. I'm not actively seeking them out. They're seeking me out and they they have something to prove and they're hungry. Oh, that's great. And, um, they are all on, at a fairly good, good level where I've, only really need to spend maybe a day, maybe a week at the most to to just make sure that it has that sort of this guy edits touch. As a, as a final question, well, I'd like to hear about secret editing hacks. Uh, but I also want to ask you, if you have a few more minutes, what, what the hardest point in your entire career has been when you came closest to quitting, giving up, <laughs> and how you, power, how you got through that? Um, I don't think I was ever really close to quitting. I mean, the hardest experience was my first student film producing, uh, because I wasn't, I wasn't really prepared for the stress it takes to run a set as a producer. And even though it's just a student film, it was still like a $30,000 budget and it was still a crew of 15 to 20 people. And it was real locations, permitting, um, stunts, underwater photography, and everything has to happen uh, at the right time. So you make your day and you have to do whatever it takes to get your shots and make your day. And going through that experience for the first time was like war to me. Like I lost 25 pounds, which I wish I wouldn't have gained back, but uh, it was so stressful as an experience. The good thing is afterwards, it changed my whole attitude towards filmmaking. I was like, we're just making movies. We're not changing the world. 
And if things don't work out, there's always another way or we'll survive. And so I've never felt that level of stress ever again, even working on a James Cameron uh, thing in the middle of the ocean and Jim screaming and yelling at me because I have a camera stuck in his face and he doesn't, he doesn't think this is good. Um, I just couldn't care because that, because of that experience. Um, so that's, that's one experience, but I did have kind of another crisis moment when I was working for free mental media at around four to five years where I just was completely burned out. And I, it's just the paycheck wasn't worth me going into the office and I just had to switch lanes. And that's when I like went to independent film and documentary Wow! and rediscover my love for editing. What causes burnout? What, what did it that time? Well, it's like having to do something for an extended period of time that is really hard or that you creatively don't care for. And even though I loved the people at Fremantle Media, I mean, I, we, my, uh, she was the senior vice president at Fremantle Media. The bond that we had was so strong. Like she just needed to call me and I would be there for whatever show, whatever she needed. And she would watch out for me the same way. Like whatever I needed in terms of financial compensation or flexibility in terms of the schedule, she would accommodate. But after four or five years of doing this and not really caring about the product more than just make a sale, I was just not, I couldn't see myself doing this for another five years. I see. And I had to just take a break. So that's what creates burnout is when you lose that love for what you do. Tell me about secret editing hacks. So secret editing hacks is a free mini course that uh, anyone can take. And I'm sharing basically some things that will help you come across as being super creative as an editor. And it's all based on process. And so what I really share is the way that I select shots in there. There's a certain method that I've developed over 10 plus years that I apply and you just have to take the mini course to see how I do it. And the idea is really to figure out what are the greatest moments and you focus all your energy putting these greatest moments together. And when you have these gold moments cut together, it doesn't really matter how they transition with each other. A shot next to a shot will always create meaning in an emotional way where it like matters to the audience. They will mostly figure out what happened in between and it will look really fresh, interesting and smart to the audience. They feel like they're being respected. They are participating. They're engaged. So I show a method on how I identify those moments and remember these moments, even six months after I've cut the scene and I need to go back and recut the scene. And I need to like rework the scene for whatever reason. And I need to create another scene that is just as powerful. What, what inspired this course? Well, it's, it's a marketing ploy. So the idea is you sign up for free. <laughs> you, you love it. So it transforms your editing. And then you're willing to consider joining the GoToEditor course. Well, Sven, thank you very much. Really enjoyed this interview. I uh, love your videos and, and uh, I'm excited to see what's next. Well, thank you for having me and I'm excited to see. I know you guys are new in, in the podcast world, so I'm excited to see what you guys do. Well, well thank you for, for helping bring it to life. Absolutely. Have a good one.